This is Artist Stories, featuring the stories of artists and arts organizations in our region. Artist Stories is a project of the Arts Foundation for Tucson and Southern Arizona, which is partially funded by the City of Tucson and Pima County. I'm your host, Ava Romero. Today, I'm with Cassandra Bendixson of Luft Bassoons, a Tucson-based band of bassoons on a mission to bring the magic of the bassoon everywhere and anywhere. Welcome, Cassandra. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Cassandra, could you tell us about Luft Bassoons and when we might have an opportunity to have a listen? Um, the next chance to hear us is actually March 14th at the Tucson Festival of Books. We'll be playing at 4 p.m. at the Canyon Stage. Luft Bassoons is four bassoons, myself, Brenda Willerbys, J.J. Arevalo, and Daniel Hersey. And um, we got together about eight years ago, and it became a regular thing. We all liked playing together, so we kept doing it. We play anything that we can get away with, pretty much. We play uh, Lady Gaga, (laughs) Michael Jackson, uh, Bach, you know, anything that we like. We've got a Stevie Wonder tune, Sir Duke. Um, We play all sorts of things, movie tunes, the theme from Up, Star Wars, all that kind of stuff. And so the project, uh, the thing we couldn't play was quartets by Tucson composers, of which there are many and many really fabulous composers, but none of them were writing for bassoon quartet. So this was the genesis of the project, is to get some of those composers to write for us and have some Tucson music to share with the rest of the bassoon quartet world. Tell us a little bit about your instrument, the bassoon. What is particular about the bassoon and what drew you to it? I really like the way it looked and the way it sounded. It's weird. Um, It's a big stick that pops out of the orchestra. And um, when I was a kid, my mom used to take me to orchestra concerts and I would see the bassoon sticking out of the orchestra. And the reason I knew that was because I had uh, fourth grade music classes and they talked about all of the instruments and they played recordings of them for us. I remember really liking The Grandfather and Peter and the Wolf. That was the one that really got me, not because of the character, but because of how it sounded. It was low and kind of, it was really different from everything else that was happening. I like it because it can play lots of different characters. So it plays that grandfather, which is kind of like a a plotty kind of loud, bombastic thing, sort of. And then it plays the broomsticks and Sorcerer's Apprentice, which is a bouncy kind of fast staccato thing, which is very different from the grandfather. And then um, like in... Um, Stravinsky's Rite of Spring. It's got this very plaintive, eerie quality to it. So I like that it could be lots of different things. And I didn't feel that way about a lot of other instruments. It's also um, the only instrument that uses all of the fingers. We don't just use the fingers, we use the thumbs also. And it's got 13 thumb keys, which sounds really, really crazy until you get used to playing it. And then it, it kind of makes sense. You don't play all 13 at once. Sometimes you play four of them at once. But otherwise, it's, um, it makes a lot more sense once you get into it. And it's got 29 keys total, which I think is maybe more than most of the other instruments. And um, it's really big. It's actually eight feet long, but when you look at them, they're four and a half feet long because they are folded in half. So it's just this weird contraption. And they're the only ones usually in a band. So usually there's only one or two. And I like that, too, the idea of being unusual in a group of other people that were also kind of unusual, but bassoon is definitely a little bit weirder than everybody else. You brought your bassoon and I'm looking at it right now and it does look complex and a little intimidating. I think it's so great that while you were a child you got this introduction to this instrument and we're just so intrigued that you went for it without feeling intimidated or too intimidated (laughs) not to try at least. 
I actually had to argue with the band director to let me even try it. Um, they had one, and um, I was playing clarinet at the time, and I didn't enjoy clarinet. I was the loud, obnoxious clarinetist in the back, and um, I wasn't very good at it. And I had to pester the band teacher for two or three months before he finally let me try it out. And I went to one of those concerts with my mom, Phoenix Pops. And it was one of those Doc Severinsen concerts where they play jazz music. We had been a bunch of times and every time I had told my mom I wanted to meet the bassoonist and she said, fine, go meet her. And I was too scared. And one day I finally went with my mom and I made her stand with me and I accosted the principal bassoon and begged her to give me lessons and she gave me her phone number and then she was my teacher for I don't know the next four or five years I think. Cassandra could you tell us a little bit more about the project that the Arts Foundation helped to fund? Uh, we wanted to play, or I wanted us to play music by Tucson composers. The project is for new local works for bassoon quartet, which kind of seems strange until you know that for whatever reason, bassoonists like to congregate in fours. We really like our bassoon quartets. Anytime you go to a conference or even um, just a gathering of bassoonists, for some reason we wind up playing in quartets. There is actually a lot of bassoon players who have quartets who want more music. So I knew a bunch of composers from uh, my chamber lab days, which was a garage classical program that was running here in Tucson from, I think, 2012 through 2017. And so through that, I met Marco Rossano, Dante Rossano, um, Samantha and Samantha Bunkia, and those are three of our composers for this project. Samantha Bunkia is in uh, Rogue Violin, uh, Marco is in Orchestra Mendoza, and Dante is in Tudor Hatchback. Chamber Lab taught me that there are really no boundaries for music. Chris would take us to the side room of Cafe Desta and play a whole concert, and people bought tickets in advance for that because it was strange and they didn't know what they were going to come to when they got there. It was different every time. Different instruments, different music, different composers, and it was fantastic. The other composers are Jay Bosk, who writes a lot around town, mostly classical, and I know him from when I worked in the Opening Minds Through the Arts project. And then uh, Russell Ronnebaum is the other composer, and I know him from U of A. We both happen to be there at the same time. Can you speak a little bit about the themes that are coming up in these compositions? Oh, that's a great question. Um, so I'll start with Jay Vosk. He wrote a piece based on a Honduran children's song. It's called Cancion de Cuna, which I think means crib song. He was inspired by migrant rights and border issues that we have happening right here in our backyard. And the piece is really beautiful. It's not really movements, it's more like sections, but they all have kind of a different voice and a different take on the issue, but it's, it's really beautiful. Another one is Samantha Bunkia. She wrote a piece called Oceans. It's really cool because it's improvisatory, so we're all reading off of one piece of music and all of our parts are the same, but she's kind of used the flavor of looping in our parts. So we play off of each other and there's um, some breathing happening and um, it's really unusual. I've never seen a piece like this before. Um, she took a trip to Belize, but she was really inspired by the, the is it a mile-wide garbage patch in the middle of the ocean? Yeah, and microplastics and sea life, and she said it was, it was eye-opening, that trip for her, and it happened to be while she was starting to get going writing for us, so she took all of that and put it into this piece. It's got some moments that are really gritty, like you would expect from a piece about pollution, but it's also got some really, really beautiful moments. 
Marco Rosano wrote us a piece called The Unlucky Waltz, which is really fun, and it's unlucky because it's actually in 13. If you know anything about waltzes, they're usually in three. So Marco wrote this um, quirky little waltz that's in 13. We have to be careful not to end rehearsals on it because we... It gets stuck in our heads until the next rehearsal. And then um, Dante is writing a couple of pieces for us, I think. One is called March of the Crogs. That's a piece that he's had before, but never for bassoon quartet. And it's one that I have liked for a long time. And so he's been working really hard to kind of mold it into something that'll work for us. Because one of the things that's cool about bassoon is that we have three and a half octaves, which is a really wide range for an instrument. But um, it's all very similar. So if you put us in the same range, we kind of melt into each other and then you can't hear the different voices so sometimes the voicing of bassoons is kind of a challenge and that's what Dante's been finding that he has to be really deliberate about where he puts each voice um, and then the last piece is by Russell Ronnebaum and it's called Pastoral he writes for the Rogue Theater so this is kind of a more classical piece um, really lovely lines and there's a little bit of a surprise at the end yeah a nice more classically themed piece um, we're going to perform all of these pieces on March 18th. That's a Saturday at 7 p.m. at the Sea of Glass off of 4th Avenue. There's uh, tickets available on our website as well as on the Sea of Glass website. Cassandra, I've had some really great conversations with a number of people, including you, about this thing called imposter syndrome. What is that? Well, we can call it uh, feelings of, of inadequacy that persist despite success right? They're not really justified. Mm -hmm. But it's super common. When it comes to grant applications, some people don't even feel brave enough to try, maybe in part because of that. Could you talk to us about how you got there, where you got brave enough to try? Um, so I feel like it was a really long road. I looked at a bunch of my um, notes, and um, I kind of think it started in 2012 with Chamber Lab and just being involved with that project and seeing the lack of boundaries and how brave he was to just try it. Part of what got me there, or here, I guess, is people talking about imposter <laughs> syndrome because no matter where you go, people talk about it. So there's a there's a podcast called Double Read Dish that's for bassoonists and oboists. And they talk about imposter syndrome on that podcast. And they talk, they interview uh, world famous bassoonists from all over the world. And they all talk and oboists, and they all talk about imposter syndrome and how they got where they are and how lucky they are. And so hearing those voices of people in my field is kind of huge to hear them complaining about the same things that I feel. Another thing was um, I've gone to this bassoon symposium, of course, a couple of times now. And at one of them, uh, one of the speakers talked about this book called The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. Um, he wrote a book called uh, The Legend of Bagger Vance. And I think when he wrote it, he was homeless or maybe a taxi driver. But in that book, he talks about resistance and fear and how those things like feeling internal resistance to a choice, it illuminates the right choice. Because if it's something that you want to do and it's something that scares you, it's probably the next best thing for you to do. And so that was huge. I read that book and it really remapped my mind as far as how I thought about the things that scared me because we tend to think of resistance and fear as something to be avoided. So when you saw this grant application show up, was your first impulse, wow, I'd like to do that. Oh, I'm scared of doing that. Yeah, um, 
This is the first grant I ever wrote. I've never written one before. I've never applied for one. I've thought about it, but I've always put it aside because I thought, well, you know, I'm just a bassoon player in Tucson. Who wants to give me money? <laughs> I saw this somewhere on social media, and my first thought was, oh, I'll never get it. And then I thought, well, I'm scared of it, and why not? Why wouldn't they? And if I don't apply for it, what do I lose? I lose the hours that I put into it, but really, that's it. And hopefully, if I don't win, I find out why. And I find out maybe everybody else was just a better candidate in this situation. I forget the saying, but we don't, we don't lose, we learn. You know, so approaching things as, well, if I don't get it, then I'll learn something from it. And I tried to do the whole process that way. I went to the roundtable discussion about it so that I could see what were the other applicants like. And they were all incredible. So I was pretty sure we had a very, very thin chance, if any. But yeah, it was um, it was very scary. So that's after reading that book, that was like, oh, I should do that. I love that you read that book and listened to that call and went for it. And I hope a lot of other people I hope so learn from that example. Yeah. Cassandra, would you indulge us with a little bit of information about how you came to the bassoon and your artistic trajectory? And maybe weave in a little bit of advice that you might give emergent musicians today. I started playing piano when I was very little and um, went to a music store for lessons and then a family friend taught me for a while and um, kept playing piano all through until later on after I had started bassoon and at some point my mother told me I had to choose. Uh, but before that it was piano and then viola because they wouldn't let me have a cello <laughs> and then uh, clarinet and um, and then eventually bassoon in seventh grade. And once I hit the bassoon, I kind of, I think they got me to play clarinet in the marching band in the spring one more time. And then I swore I would never touch it again <laughs> because I was terrible on it. <laughs> um, then clarinet. And then for high school, I kept playing bassoon. I was really into it. And I added trombone because I wanted to do the marching band. You can't play bassoon in a marching band. It won't be heard. And the, if you know what a bassoon looks like, there's this um, curvy metal part that sticks out, which everybody says it's an urban legend that someone was impaled upon it in a marching band. But still, why do you want to chance that? You know, you're not going to be hurt anyway. So I picked up trombone over the summer, and then I played trombone in marching band and jazz band. And pretty much everywhere that I could play some kind of music, I tried to. Everything that my, my school offered as far as music, I did. I did marching band, I did concert band, I did jazz band. Outside of that, I kept playing bassoon and I was playing in the Phoenix Symphony Youth Orchestra. And then um, in the summers over the weekends, I would go to a teacher's house in the valley. His name was Andy Bunch and he would have quartets for students. And so we would meet up at his house over the summer and play quartets in his living room. Every chance I had to make some kind of music somewhere, if I could get there, I did it. So that would be my advice to um, young musicians trying to figure out where they're going, is play. Play with people you like. Play every kind of way that you can so that you figure out what you like and what you don't like and what kinds of people you can work with and maybe what kinds of people are going to be more challenging to work with. Because there's more than just orchestra. Um, the other thing I would say to young musicians is to make friends. I'm sure they all hear a million suggestions about putting their phones down. But in between um, parts of rehearsal, like the breaks that you get, 
that's prime time for making a new friend. And you never know if the person next to you is feeling just as awkward as you are. So it doesn't hurt to say hello and learn their name. And I know it's totally awkward, but that's kind of the fun of it is just being completely awkward. Because, I mean, if you're playing bassoon, you're already awkward. And if you're in a band instead of, I don't know, playing video games, you're strange already. And another book I read last year was called uh, Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert. And she's got a phrase in there that I say to myself all the time. It's about fear because the people that you admire aren't, it's, you don't admire them because they're not scared. They might appear that they're not scared, but everybody's scared. Everybody's making it up. And that goes along with imposter syndrome too. There's no guide for how to do anything. So her thing that she says is fear gets a voice, but not a vote. So you can listen to your fear. You can even let it guide you to some extent, but you shouldn't let it be what decides anything for you. That's great advice. I hope we can hear at least one good squawk. You want to squawk? I definitely would love to hear a squawk. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) I'll play a little bit of the grandfather from uh, Peter and the Wolf. from a concerto by Vivaldi and it's it's really pretty this is from his second movement Cassandra, thank you for speaking with us and thank you for playing with us today. Thank you so much for having me. This has been Artist Stories with Ava Romero, featuring the stories of artists and arts organizations in our region. To listen to more podcasts, visit kxci.org. Artist Stories is a project of the Arts Foundation for Tucson and Southern Arizona, which is partially funded by the City of Tucson and Pima County.